this sermon today and in this series, we've been talking about the importance of you, of me, of all of us consistently moving forward in our walk with God. Next steps. We've talked to you about being intentional, being strategic about getting closer to God each day. You're not going to always feel like you got closer to God, but if you if you practice those disciplines, you don't go by how you feel. You just go and look back over the year or the month or the week, and you can say, you know, I didn't feel really close to God that day, but I got to tell you that scripture I read, that prayer I prayed anyway. How many of you have ever heard the, the uh, old saying, praise God anyhow, pray anyhow, read your Bible anyhow. It's not good English, but it's good preaching. And when you do those disciplines, even when you don't feel spiritual, you are being drawn nearer and nearer to God. And that will manifest itself later. That will reveal itself later. Have you ever been in training for something and it was boring or it was hard or you didn't know what in the world, what are they training me for this for? And then a situation arose and all of that training came back to you. All of that experience and what you learned, you're like, ah, I got to admit, that never happened with algebra. But, <laughs> but um, still, it, it is important to um, do those daily disciplines that draw you nearer to God. And why is this so important? It's because of something I talk about all the, all the time. It's the current that we live in every day, the undertow that pull, that strong, invisible pull that we fight every day that attempts us to move us away from God. It is the environment we live in. It is the spiritual environment we live in. It is the social environment we live in. How many of you know that we're not moving toward God in this world? We're moving away from God. So if you choose to follow God, then you're going to go what? Against the current and so that's why you have to be intentional. And I've given this illustration so many times. You ever been to the beach, you go swimming, and you're out there, and you think you're in one spot, and then when you come up on the shore, you're way down the shore from where you went in. And that's what happens spiritually if we're not intentional about growing. If we don't intentionally and strategically war against this current, it will pull us, it will push us, in what the Word of God calls into it, what the Word of God calls a spiritual state of lukewarmness. Lukewarm. How many of you heard that word, lukewarm? And then the scripture came up in the video in the book of Revelation, the Laodicean church. That church was lukewarm in its relationship with God. So let's go to the Bible this morning and let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is right before what? Excellent. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. These scriptures are going to come up on the screen. 1 Peter 3, look at uh, verse 13. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. So don't worry or be afraid of the current. Don't worry or be afraid of the threats. Don't worry or be afraid when you do good, there's going to be some suffering in this world, but what? God will what? 
reward you so, since you know God's going to reward you for fighting the current, you what? Don't have to worry or? Next slide. Key verse, key verse for this sermon today. Instead of worrying, instead of being fearful, you must, and the reason he said you must do this is because you must. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord, Master, Sovereign God. Listen, He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is the one who restores us when we get away from Him. But you know what God wants? He doesn't want to just be Savior, Redeemer, Restorer. He wants to be your Master. He wants to master your life. So you want him to be Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, you should always what? Be ready to explain it to them. <laughs> you must always be ready to explain it. You've got to always be ready. Now, if you're not practicing your daily disciplines and moving toward God, you're not going to be what? Ready. You're not going to be ready. Next slide. But do this in a what? Gentle and feral hardison version for that right there. Don't be a jerk about it. Be a Christian, but don't be a jerk about it. How many of you met Christians who were jerks about it? Be gentle. Be respectful. Keep your conscience clear. Because if you're respectful in the way you talk about Christ and his blessing in your life, if you're respectful about it and you keep your conscience clear, then if, really probably would be better when, people speak against you, they will be ashamed that they spoke against you because they will see in your life what a good life you live. And the reason you give a, live a good life is because you what? That's good stuff right there. Let's just go home. Let's go. I'm done great. If I just stop right now, it'll be awesome. But y'all know I'm not going to stop. You know I'm not. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. No, one more verse. Verse 17. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. And the bridge said, so if I had a subtitle for this sermon, it would be warning signs that your relationship with God has grown stale. I'm going to give you, this is going to make you really nervous when I say this, so, so don't get upset. 13 signs. Hey, listen, if y'all if weren't so wishy-washy, it wouldn't take so many. 13 signs that your relationship with God has grown stale, half-hearted. What's the other word? What's the Bible word? Lukewarm. Lukewarm, weak. This sermon today is a tool. It'll be a tool for you. It's an evaluation checklist for you to diagnose the current health of your relationship with God. This sermon is going to also provide you with some preventative measures. How many of you military people and non-military for that matter? Know what preemptive strike means. Strike the enemy before the enemy strikes you. That's what, when you do those daily disciplines, that's what you're doing. You're doing preemptive strike. Why do we take vitamins? Because we're sick? Not really. We take them to what? 
keep from getting sick, to prevent sickness. So we're talking about a preemptive strike. You can weave into your daily life these things, these things I'm going to give you today, and they will help you stay healthy and grow stronger spiritually. Now, the checklist I'm going to give you is not in any order of any kind of importance or chronology. Uh, these are just things I sense that God wanted me to share with you as I thought through this message. So number one, number one, uh, lukewarmness. One of the signs that you're getting lukewarm, you're getting stale, you're getting cold in your walk with God is you think more about what you love on this earth and how to be comfortable here than you do about eternal life. Y'all get that? What do you think about the most? What do you think about the most? You think more about this earth, this temporary earth that if you are blessed, you get to live here 80 years. 90 years, miraculously 100 years, but that's pretty much it. And this life's over. And 100 years in eternity, it's like that. When you compare the time we're going to have on this earth to eternity, the time we're here on this earth, nothing. Quick. But we spend so much time, matter of fact, some of you can hardly pay attention to the Word of God today. Some of you couldn't hardly get into the worship today. Some of you didn't even know what the choir was singing because you're worried about temporary stuff that's going to be over. So one of the signs that you are moving away from God, that you're getting stale, that you're getting weak, that you're getting cold, indifferent in your walk with God, is you spend a lot more time thinking about what you love on this earth, how to be comfortable here than you do about eternal life. For me, I know I'm becoming lukewarm. Let me just, let me just pull myself into this because I battle with the same stuff y'all do. So I pull myself into this. I know I'm being lukewarm when I lose sleep over temporary things and I'm not losing sleep over eternal things. That's me. That's me. And I know y'all all holy today. So I'm talking about me here. Seriously. Can't pay a bill, unexpected finance, unexpected report from the doctor, temporary stuff, lay awake. Here's the question. When was the last time Pastor Farrell lost sleep because people in Belize are lost? When was the last time Pastor Farrell lost sleep because people within shouting distance of this church, if they died right now, they would go into eternity without Christ? When was the last time I lost sleep over lost family, over missions? When was the last time I lost sleep about eternal matters? Number two. That's fast, wasn't it? Number two. Another reason, another sign that you are um, growing cold in your walk with God, you talk more about, you talk about dependence on God, but you live your life as if he doesn't exist. You talk about God. I mean, we're notorious, aren't we? We Can, can y'all, I can, turn the spiritual language on. Start speaking in the King James Version. You know, you're talking to people and you realize, oh, this person's close to God. <clears throat> Yea, unto thee I say. You know, I become, we know, hey, we know how to talk spiritual. We know how to talk about God. We know the language to use to make the average person go, wow. 
They must really love God, but we live our lives as if he doesn't exist, even in crisis. Come on, let's be honest. God is quite often the last thing we think about. Even in crisis, he is our last resort. We, we, you know, we're like Jacob. You remember Jacob in the book of Genesis? Let me just give you that reference so you can read it when you get home. Genesis uh, 32, verse 22 through 31. Matter of fact, that whole chapter of 32, really, Genesis 32. Jacob, you know what, you know what Jacob always had? He always had plan B, plan C, plan D. He always had, you know, I'm going I'm to mention this to God, but I really got my own plan. And really, a lot of times, he never talked to God. He just did his thing. Though the name Jacob is interesting, it means schemer. The name, the name Jacob means trickster, supplanter, swindler. He always had a scheme in his back pocket, rarely thinking of God's way first. And then he wrestled with that angel. And that angel was probably Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. The angel said, let me go. We talked about this a few Sundays ago. And he said, I will not let you go until you. And so he didn't let him go. And we know about the angel touched the hollow of his thigh. And from that day on, he limped. How many of you know we will be different after we wrestle with God? We will always be different. And so from that day on, he was not known as Jacob the tricker. Jacob the schemer. He was known as Israel, which means may God prevail. Not me, not me, but may God prevail. Beautiful. Evaluation question. As a Christian, as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, how do you respond to various disappointments in your life? How do you respond to tragedy? How do you respond to predicaments? How do you respond to what you would consider to be emergencies in life? Because listen to this. Unbelievers are watching us. And they hear us talk about our dependence on God. But when we go through the fire, when we go through the war, when we go through the storm, those unbelievers who have heard us talk are watching to see how we respond. And how we respond as followers of Jesus, how we respond to crisis, how we respond to tragedy, how we respond to disappointments, it either causes them to doubt their doubt of God or it enhances their doubt of God. Did that make sense? So important. Number three. Another sign of spiritual weakness is you are serving out of your leftovers. You're serving. Thank you. But you're serving out of your leftovers rather than out of an overflow of God's presence in your life and God's power in your life. You serve, but you serve out of humanity. Boy, there, I mean, there's just so many people like this. I, I just love people who serve, and I'll turn my TV on sometimes, and there will be these awesome organizations and these incredible volunteers, and they're serving, and they're serving, and they're going around, and they're all about others, and 
it's just really a beautiful thing to see, other than the fact that there's no mention of God, there's no mention of their service coming out of a passion for God and having the heart of God. But this happens in the church too. We serve like those secular, wonderful organizations, but very secular. We in the church can be guilty of serving out of our humanity because we don't have that intimacy with God. Your ministry, listen to me, your ministry has to flow out of an overflow of God's presence in your life. And if you are not having that daily discipline time with God where that fuel tank keeps getting refilled with fresh fuel, then after a while you will begin to serve in your flesh. And you know what that leads to? Burnout. Now I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again. It is that illustration of the Lamp, the oil lamp. How, how I've got some old people here today remember the oil lamps? <clears throat> as long as you kept oil in the lamp, the light would come forth, the warmth would come forth, that lamp would serve you well. But if you let the oil run out, it would still give off some light, but it would not be burning the oil anymore. It would be burning, and we've already gone through this before, but we need to be reminded it's burning what? The wick, it's burning the wick up. That's your humanity. That wick is a picture of your ability to keep burning, keep serving, keep being a blessing. You will burn out. You will burn out. Your ministry, your service in this church has to come out of a fresh flow of God into your life. And that comes through many things, but primarily it comes through your individual time with God, your quiet time with God. And we've got prayer groups here at the church and the team that you see come up here after service, they're our prayer ministry team. And if you are interested in being a part of that, there's a, there are ways, go to the Connect Center and say, I, I feel like I have the gift of prayer, gift of intercession, or I want to be a part of the prayer team, or I'd like to be trained by them to be in the prayer team. Awesome, awesome. We want that for you. And you can be with this group and they have times of prayer and it's just incredible. And we've got uh, uh, other ways we can get you plugged into prayer groups. But listen, Listen, nothing takes the place of your alone time with God. That's where the richness is. That, that's where the depth is. I mean, do you think Millie and I would have ever really fallen in love? Would we have ever really gotten married and had two sons and had the family that we have today if there had always been me and Millie and a bunch of other people? We had to be alone in order for that intimacy to grow. In order for us to be able to say things to each other that we couldn't say and express things we couldn't do in a group, we had to be alone. And that's where the love was deepened. And that's how it is with God. Now, I think I talked about this already in this series, but let me just remind don't, don't go crazy on that. You won't last. I'm going to, okay, Pastor, I, I'm going to have an hour with God every day. No, you're not. You're going to have an hour with God two days in a row. And the third day, you're not going to know anything else you can pray about. You're going to go, I think I'm good, you know. It's like exercise, joining a gym. I'm going to work out an hour. No, you're not. And another thing, you know what else we do with personal devotion time? We, um, we get legalistic about it. And if we miss a day, we're like, oh, I'm such a loser. And the enemy goes, yes. And so what do we do? We give up. 
because we can't do it perfect. Can I just go ahead and tell you, you're never going to do it perfect. If you miss a day, if you skip a day, just do it the next day. I mean, if you're not with your wife one day or you're not with your husband one day, don't say that's a blessing. <laughs> but if you're not with them one day, if you're not with them one day, you don't call and go, I'm just giving up. <laughs> I didn't see you. You didn't call, so it's over. No. You just go back and start aggravating them the next day. <laughs> don't give up on that, all right? So it's important. It's important. I love, uh, this is a little funny story. I heard this pastor back in the old days when the old churches had the big furnace in them and the oil furnace and the coal and all that. He wrote another pastor a letter, and it was about the furnace in the church, but it really could have uh, related to a lot of churches spiritually. He said, hey, pray for us over here. The um, fire has gone out in the furnace, but the blower's still blowing. Some of y'all get that later. But a lot of people, you know what we do as a church? We lose the presence of God, but we just keep on acting like he's here. We just keep on doing the stuff and, you know, faking the smile. And Don't you know when it's real and when it's not? I mean, you can walk in a church that does all the right things, but there's a difference in a church that does the right things and has the presence of God in that church. Amen. And you know what? The presence of God was here today in our worship and the choir was singing. God is here, and I hope he's here uh, with us right now in the Word. Here's some things that indicate spiritual burnout. Let me hurry up. Loss of joy, loss of passion in serving coupled with a sense of dread where you used to really look forward to things. Now, as it relates to God and the church, you dread it. These are signs you're burning out. Finding excuses to skip your quiet time with Christ. Constantly finding fault. You find yourself just criticizing everything. You're real irritable about everything. Um, resenting uh, the people we are serving and the people um, we serve with. You begin to just resent every little thing. You begin to feel tired physically because you're uh, kind of upset, you see yourself as giving, always, never receiving. The intensity of your serving has increased, but you're seeing less fruit. Oh, that's a big one. I'll do more, I'll do more, I'll do more. Less fruit, less fruit, less fruit. What does that tell you? God isn't in it. God is not in it. Everything gets hard when God is not in it. When you serve for any reason other than your love for God, you will be easily discouraged. When you serve for any other reason than loving God, if you're serving for me, if you're going, I like Pastor Farrell, uh, I like him, so I'm going to serve, you're, that isn't going to last. That won't last you. Because I'm going to walk in one Sunday, and I'm going to have something on my mind, and you're going to be serving, and I'm going to walk right past you, and you're going to go, Pfft. what a jerk. And Miss Millie will go, sometimes, yes. See, you can't depend on me to be, he's your fuel, your love for him. When you serve, you see, when you serve because you love him, then it doesn't matter what happens while you're serving because you just look at somebody and go, oh, I'm not serving because I'm serving because I love him. Yeah. I'm serving. Yeah, that person just talked really mean to you, you know. I mean, we'll have people after service sometimes 
I don't know if you all know, but you know, my sermon last week was really controversial to a lot of people about being a member of a church. I mean, we had people who, who walked out and went to connections and said some really things about obviously they didn't like what I preached on. That's all right. That's all right. And I'm not here today, you know, mealy mouth and yeah, I got beat up last Sunday because I preached what he gave me. I'm like, you upset? Take it up with him. See, it's him. It's him. We do it for him. Uh, number um, four. Got to hurry. You're more concerned about pleasing people than you are about pleasing God. This is a sign you are weak. You have an I'll do anything to avoid conflict mentality. I want everybody to like me. When you're planning ministry, your primary concern is, I think they'll like me when I do this. I wonder if I'll get a compliment. Will people notice how much work I'm doing? If I do this, I think people will really appreciate me. I better not do this. It might offend somebody. I don't know anyone who doesn't need affirmation. We all need affirmation, right? I mean, I, it's, it's enjoyable when somebody comes up and goes, oh, man, that message blessed me. Or I get an email or text. Oh, that message blessed me today, Pastor. I love that. Thank you. I like to know I hit the target once in a while. But you know what? Lukewarmness in your spiritual life will cause you to become obsessed with the need to have constant affirmation from those around you. Let me say something to you. I'm going to just be really blunt. If you're a person who needs constant affirmation, don't go on any of our mission trips. You will wear us out. We can't keep you encouraged. We got people we went there to minister to. We can't be, oh, come on. I mean, that's what I want to do. All of a sudden, this flesh takes over. I want to look at people on a mission trip who are whining and go, why did you come? You knew this was about others. That is not in the notes right there. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? The need for constant compliments. And we all need it at a healthy level. The need for constant affirmation can also be subconscious. So it gets into other areas of your life, work and career, marriage, relationships, your ministry. I gotta have these compliments. If I don't get these compliments, I just can't go on. Listen to this. The closer you are to God, the less you will need constant affirmation. The closer you are to God, the less you will need somebody coming along going, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. We all love to hear that, but if you've got to have that to, to be a powerful Christian, then something's wrong. You're lukewarm in your spiritual life. Can I preach like that? I just did. Number five. Number five. Um, another sign of spiritual weakness, you aren't looking for opportunities to share your faith. When you are a weak Christian, you are not looking for opportunities to share your faith. Your head is not on swivel. You're looking around to see who's going to serve me, who's going to bless me. You know, I've got to get through this day. I've got a list of things I need to do. How many of you understand you are an ambassador of Christ every moment of the day? You represent God. You're God's little representative in the world. 
But if you're weak spiritually, you're not looking for opportunities to share your faith. And when the opportunity arises, you don't speak up because you're not confident. Let me tell you something. You go, well, I need some training. Well, we'll get you some training, but let me tell you something. When God is a blaze in your life, it just comes out. It just comes And I don't mean all preachy, and I don't mean all, uh, uh, you know, just being a jerk about it. I don't mean being uh, obnoxious. Y'all know how I am about that. I hate obnoxious Christians. I mean, I love them, but I just hate their obnoxiousness. Holy and proud of it. I know the Bible, and more than I want to lead you to Christ, I want you to know how much of the Bible I know. So, if you're a Christian, you're an ambassador, evaluation question, is your head on swivel? When you walk out the house, I mean, even before you walk out of the house, when you, when you begin your day, is your head on swivel? How can I... Represent Christ today. Do you, are your spiritual antenna up where God goes, that person right there needs a word of encouragement? And there may be no sign that they do, but they do, and that your antenna, and you just try to avoid it, and you try not to do it, but God won't let it go. Who knows what I'm talking about? Number six, you compare yourself with others rather than God. There was a group in the Bible who were great at that. The Pharisees. You don't want to be a Pharisee. They killed Jesus and the Sadducees. And why were they called Sadducees? Because they were sad, you see. And there's a lot of, that is not true right there. Don't, <laughs> don't write that down and go put on Facebook, I learned something at church today. Matter of fact, if you ever hear me say something you think I'm kidding, you're not sure, ask somebody <laughs> you know, the first cigarette in the Bible was David lit off on a camel. Okay, listen. <laughs> that is not in the notes. Number six. You compare yourself with others rather than God's word. You know why we compare ourselves to other people? Because it makes us feel better about some weakness in our life. So we find somebody who's really messed up in an area where we're strong and we get really, we lay down right beside them and go, I'm awesome. Look at this guy. You know, if you, took, if you take two crooked sticks and put them beside each other, they look okay. But when you put a straight stick beside a crooked stick, that crooked stick really stands out. So what we do is, come on, we try to find a bunch of crooked sticks and get in the middle of them and go, I look pretty good, huh? <laughs> Stop comparing yourself to other people. Read the Bible. Compare yourself to Christ. Compare yourself to the Word of God. You go, I'll be depressed if I do that, you know. It's an amazing thing. That isn't what happens. The more you pray and read what Jesus said and how Jesus lived, the more you become like him with each passing moment. It just really happens. It's not that you wake up every morning and go, I'm going to really be nice today or I'm going to really be loving or I'm going to really be courteous. I'm, you know, the closer you get to him, you just naturally begin to act that way to everybody. You don't have to, you have to really try after a while. Now, yeah, there's some discipline in the beginning, but discipline becomes delight, and delight becomes desire. All right, number, uh, where are we? Seven, good biblical number. 
You serve all the, oh, these are two, two and one. I'm double, double pumping. You serve all the time and never participate in worship. Boom. But then we got the crowd who worships all the time and never serves anybody. I'm about to make everybody uncomfortable. Both crowds. Because number seven, serving all the time and not being in church can indicate a couple things. It can indicate that you're uncomfortable being in the presence of God. Because when you're in the presence of God, when you're in worship, when you're in this environment, that's why we just encourage you, encourage you. We love it when you serve, but you got to be in church. you got to be in church because the presence of God, the teaching of the Word of God, it brings conviction. It brings light to our lives. It helps us see where we need to make improvements, where we need to do things better. I'm just going to say to you, you say, oh, I love the bridge. And then when's the last time you were in worship? Well, I, I really, I serve. I serve just about all the time. There's a reason you don't want to be in here. There's a reason you don't want to be in here during worship. There's a reason you don't want to be in here when the choir's singing. There's a reason you don't want to be here when Pastor Farrell's preaching. And it could be that it brings conviction. There's an uncomfortableness about being in God's presence and in God's word. Amen, amen? Now, let's look at number eight. You worship all the time and never serve. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why you might be somebody who goes, you're always in here and you're never serving other people. It could be, can I just be blunt? You could just be lazy. I mean, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying could be. You say, I work hard. But when was the last time you did something for nothing just to help another person? The other thing, which I think could be the case more often, is spiritual pride. Because you know what you're saying? You're saying, oh, I. You ever notice spiritual people? I just love to be with Jesus. Worship Jesus. How many of you know that's worship right there too? Matter of fact, Jesus, if I remember correctly, in John 13, girded himself with a towel and got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. You know what? When all you do is worship and you never serve, you're saying, I'm not going to wash somebody's feet. I know Greek words. <laughs> I know some Greek alphabet. I know some Hebrew words. I know who Jehoshaphat was. You don't know who Jehoshaphat was. I know because I'm spiritual. And because I'm spiritual, I'm too good to wash people's feet. Shame on you. Now, Nobody in this service is like that, but I've got to preach this to the second service. <laughs> they really need that. Number nine. Number nine. Oh, is, is that one wrong? Yeah. Uh, another sign of spiritual weakness, lukewarmness. You say you love and trust God, but you show little or no initiative to getting to know him more intimately. In other words, here's, here's the deal. I love God, I love God, I love God, and then I look at you and go, well, what's your strategy to get closer to him every day since you love him so much? Oh. Uh, we're not in a life group. What 
what used to be life groups long, long, long time ago? What used to be life groups? Sunday school. I love Sunday school. I grew up in Sunday school. Flannel graph. Come on. Could never get Jesus to stick up there. <laughs> what a great illustration that is. Jesus keeps falling down on the ground. I'm sorry. I just went there. Sunday school. I loved it. But you know, Sunday school got to the point where it just wasn't effective in our for us, anyway, it works at some churches still. But when, when's our Sunday school? Wednesday night. Wednesday night, man. We got four or 500 people on this campus on Wednesday night just learning and just getting discipled. When's another, when's another thing that uh, took Sunday school's place? Life groups. Life groups. You, look, look, look. Now I'm, I'm busting on you today, but I love you. You know I love you. I love God, Pastor Farrell, but I have no initiative or plan or strategy, but I really, really love him, but I don't have any plan to get to know him better. See, you can say something, but it doesn't mean it's true. It's like a man who tells me how much he loves his wife and I never see him touch her. I never see him put his arm around her. I never see him take her out to dinner. He's always talking mean to her. Ladies, too. So don't tell me how much you love somebody or how much you love God, but you don't have a strategy for making it closer, making it better, making it more intimate. Is that all right? Is that okay? Number 10. Is that where we are? You want enough of Christ to go to heaven, but not enough to surrender to his lordship. You want to go to heaven, but you don't want to change the way you live. You want to go to heaven, but you don't want to change the way you think. You know what we treat God like? We think we can treat God like the K&W cafeteria. How many old people we got here? Loves the K&W. <laughs> it's just like driving on 70. I, I'm, I'm in a hurry, and I always get behind some old person. Then when I go to K&W, same thing. Now, I love K&W restaurants. Is it still at the mall? Yeah, yeah. So we treat, uh, so we treat, uh, we treat God like that. Um, we're like, uh, here, here's me at KNW. They put the dessert first, don't they? That's that's wrong. Because I gotta have some of that coconut pie. So I go, I'll take some coconut pie. And I will take some cream potatoes and gravy. This is terrible, isn't it? Y'all hungry? Cream potatoes, gravy. I'll take some fried chicken. But no broccoli, thank you. And no Brussels sprouts. And no carrots. And no, you know. So here's what we say to God. We go, hey, God, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll have some saviorhood, thank you. And I got a bad report from the doctor, or it could be, so I will take some healing. And uh, God, I really, really love my kids, so I will receive some blessing on my children. And uh, I love money, and I don't like to be in a pinch financially, so I'll take some blessing on my finances and some blessing on my career. I'll have some of that, please. Big heaping pile of that, thank you. And then you get down there to lordship, and you go, but no lordship, thank you. 
I want you to give me stuff I like, but I don't want you to really master my life. Come on. I want stuff from you, but I don't want you to really, you know, have control or anything. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15? We read it at the beginning. You must worship him as Lord of your life. Number 11. There's little or no difference in your life and the life of those who have not surrendered to Christ. In other words, there's not much difference in the way you live your life and the way people who don't know Christ live their life. And this kind of overlaps with number two, so we won't stay there very long. But um, the Bible speaks of it this way. It speaks of being like those who have no hope. A lot of times we react and act the same way people do who don't know Jesus Christ. And that is a sign we are what? Weak spiritually, lukewarm. So we're just going to go over that one real quickly uh, since we talked about it in number two. Uh, number 12, you only seek God when you have a problem you can't solve. Now, do we see this in church? I mean, let me tell you something. We're the bridge, and we love you, and we'll minister to you. Anytime you come to church, anytime you call us during the week, we will pray for you. We will minister to you. But here's the thing that bugs me. There's something very wrong when the only time a person comes to church, when the only time a person is weeping in the altar, uh, is when they um, have just received a bad report from the doctor. Otherwise, you don't see them. But, but if they got a bad report from the doctor, they're crying and they're wanting prayer. They'll stay a long time, get here early. If they lose their job, if they're involved in a tragedy of some kind, if their marriage explodes. You know, I, got a, I had a guy one time, a long time ago when I pastored the church here, um, and he treated his wife so mean. And she kept telling him, I, I can't, I'm not going to live like this. And he was a real country guy, real country. And, and the phone rang one day, and I picked it up, and I went, hello? He went, she took the ceiling fans. <laughs> Who is this? She took the ceiling fans. Okay. Who is this? And then he wanted to get right with God, and he wanted to pray, and he wanted to come to my house and weep. And I did all that and spent hours with him. But I said I tried and tried and tried to talk to him before this explosion. But no, nah, man, wasn't interested. Bunch of hypocrites out there at the church. But then when his life exploded... He called him. We tried to minister to him. When it came down to the fact that he wasn't going to get his marriage back together, he was gone again. We see this a lot in church. And then number 13, if you are not where you ought to be spiritually, this sermon just made you angry. Ha! You are ticked off. Look around. Look around you right now. Who looks mad? Here's how I know, because it's true about me. When I go to a leadership conference, like if I go down to Atlanta and I go to a leadership conference and a speaker gets up and he's talking about some area where I'm not doing a good job or I'm weak, man, I want to go see what the vendors have got out in the hallways. It's prayer time for me. I need to go back to the hotel. And I find reasons 
not to listen to that speaker because what he said nailed me to the wall. So I dig it, man. I get it. To prevent lukewarmness, you got to see the importance of God's work and you got to depend on the continual supply of his spirit. Pastor Stephen Cole said that. So that's it. Here's the question. What is your, what is your plan not to get lukewarm? 